Land. This is the Front Row Movie Reviews podcast, the podcast for people who actually like movies. And this is kind of a special episode of Beyond the Mouse. Uh, we had talked about this a bit in February, and I mean, I've been talking about it for about 12 months now, um, but we are actually on board the Disney Dream right this very second. We we are in Stateroom 7152. We have a uh, beautiful veranda that we're looking out at, the, uh, the vast ocean. Uh, from being a boy from the Midwest, it's pretty cool to see just nothing but ocean all around you and the the veranda is pretty beautiful especially when you have some coffee and uh with me in the stateroom is my lovely wife anna well that's good hi (laughs) it wasn't it's not another woman no yeah that's really good um but we are going to talk about our cruise experience this was a four-night cruise it started on monday and we are going to get off the ship. We're going to uh, debark tomorrow morning, very early. They're going to get us off the boat by 8 a.m. So we thought we would just spend a couple of minutes here and talk about the ship and what our impressions are of the cruise and uh, kind of talk about some of the activities and entertainment that you're able to do while on the Disney Dream. I do want to point something out. We actually started this trip by staying at Walt Disney World for a couple of nights. We stayed at Port Orleans Riverside, which if anyone asks me what resort they should stay at while at Walt Disney World, I would always say Port Orleans Riverside. It's a fantastic moderate resort, and it almost seems like uh, one of the more deluxe resorts. It's really awesome and i would highly suggest it to anyone that is thinking about going to walt disney world and we could almost do an entire podcast on just our two days at walt disney world uh so we won't do that all i will say is thank you so much to our cast member friend kelly he was the best guide we have ever had on kilimanjaro safaris and we have gone uh several times to that we've been fortunate to be able to do that so i just wanted to say thank you to kelly and we hope that we have him on the podcast pretty soon but let's jump right into the disney dream the disney dream is one of four ships in the disney fleet for disney cruise line and it really does more of the uh, three night and four night cruises to the bahamas And uh, we will kind of divide this up and talk about the ship, and then we'll talk to you specifically about the pool deck, go into the food and drinks, speak about the ports of call that we had the opportunity to go to, and then wrap up with the entertainment. So the first things first, the overall impressions of the ship. Anna, do you want to give me your first impressions of the ship as you walked on? Well, right when you walk on the ship, they have a beautiful atrium. Uh, they really set the tone. It's like old old Art Deco style, so it really gives you the feel that you're on one of the old ships. Um, and it's just really nice and clean and welcoming. I think they do a really nice job. And they also do a really nice job with wayfinding. So 
right when you walk on, they have um, people standing there to help you figure out where you're going. And it's really helped welcome you back onto the ship. The lobby's incredible. I mean, the the chandelier in the middle, um, it looks like a classic steamer. And that's what they're looking, that's what they're going for, is more of the Britannica, Titanic um, feel and look. You can just tell that right away. And I should say that we've never been on another cruise. This is our first cruise ever. But it just gives you that classic 19, turn-of-the-century uh, feel to this boat. And it, it just it just envelops you right away. I mean, it's just beautiful and uh, gives you such a great first impression. They call your name on the way in, so they, they say, McFarland family, welcome aboard, and everybody claps, and, and you walk onto the ship, which I thought was maybe a little bit corny, but it was a nice touch, um, and we really really did enjoy the the first few minutes on the ship our stateroom is uh you know obviously a bit smaller than we would be used to in any kind of hotel room but you're also on a cruise ship so they have a limited amount of space but we do have a tv that that kind of turns out towards the bed we have a bed and a couch um a split bath which is really nice they have uh, a toilet and a sink in one bath and then the second bathroom is your shower and another sink really nice for getting ready in the morning and um just awesome to be able to to split that up they do have pretty uh, nice size closets as well. well that's what i really like about the rooms is that they have really good organization with cabinets and drawers so it's just really nice to be able to put your stuff away and to really feel at home and have everything readily accessible but put away so it makes your room feel so much larger when you don't have to walk over your suitcase you can just slide it underneath the bed so i think they did a really nice job of planning the staterooms and um, helps me feel clean, which I really appreciate. <laughs> yes, and we are staying in a veranda, as I mentioned. So we actually have a little walkout balcony with two chairs. There are dividers on either side, but they really do enclose you, so you do feel like uh, no one's looking at you or watching you while you're on the veranda. You're not sharing a veranda with anybody else. Uh, I really enjoyed that. There are a couple of other types of staterooms, just for your knowledge. There's an inside stateroom, which Disney has Disneyified. Um, by making what they call the magical portholes. And Vanessa actually mentioned that on our Moana episode. Uh, but basically, they have webcams all around the outside of the ship, and that goes back into the feed for the magical portholes for the folks staying on the inside. So you actually do see what uh, is outside of the boat at that very moment. And, of course, they, they make it more Disney magic by adding things like uh, the characters from Little Mermaid or from Moana or any of those Disney characters popping up in those portholes. And then, of course, we have the traditional uh, porthole view that is just an ocean view room, and that would just have your real porthole without the Disney characters um, that would be on the outside of the ship as well. So there yeah, are no. a couple of, of options. And uh, there's also a concierge suite, which costs a lot of money, but I'm sure it's really nice. I bet. Anything else you want to mention about the ship? I know we're going to talk about it quite a bit in the other sections. Uh, I think it was really pretty easy to get used to where everything was. Again, I think they did a really nice job at the layout of the ship and that um, it's easy to find your way. 
And I also think they did a really nice job with um, layout. I know other cruise lines have casinos in them, and that's not something I'm used to, but that's definitely not something I would be interested in at all. So um, I do think that I, I appreciate the Disney having other family rooms or entertainment rooms versus having a casino. Um, I just really think that it has a nice feel and a layout, and there's plenty to do on board. Yes, and we'll talk more about that in the entertainment section. So let's move on to the pool decks. Uh, Obviously, a lot of people come on a cruise to be able to catch some rays and get in the pool. There are ample amounts of pools and things to do in the pools for all ages uh, on this Disney Cruise Line. In the middle of the ship, they have what's called Funnel Vision, which is showing you different Disney movies throughout the day. This morning, they were showing The Incredibles, um, and I've seen even Marvel movies at night. They showed Ant-Man and they showed Avengers Age of Ultron later on at night, mainly when the kiddos have gone to bed, but you can actually just pull up a beach chair and watch a movie right on the deck if you'd like to do that. Um, They also have two pools, the Mickey and the Donald pool. Of course, they're they look like Mickey and Donald Duck, and those are mainly more for the kiddos right in the middle of the pool. They're easily closed for any kind of deck parties, which, again, we'll talk more about the pirate night that we just experienced in the entertainment section. Uh, we also, moving along, have a Nemo's Reef area for the littlest of sailors, and you can uh, use the little splash pad, and I think you had to be under six years old or so uh-huh. to use that. It was a nice little area for them two different water slides one is more of your traditional water slide uh, that kind of just loops around and then the second is the aqueduct and i really enjoyed the aqueduct it is this large um enclosed water slide that goes all the way around the ship so you can really see out into the ocean you can see so many things uh, while you're riding in the aqueduct it was a lot of fun um they got big lines through that really quickly uh they actually had a 30 minute wait the one time that i went up there but i would say i was on and off of it within 15 minutes they they do a good job of moving it along and it is a totally different experience from the day to the night of course in the day you're looking out to see the ocean or to see the port that you're in um just to see around the ship and then at night they put a lot of different um lighting effects around the aqueduct and so i really actually enjoyed it more at night because it almost felt like space mountain or some kind of ride at night which i really enjoyed and then i'll let anna mention the adult only section and the adult only pools because i know we enjoyed those yes quiet cove that is my that is my jam it is just a nice small little pool um it has a um it has like a seating area, so if you wanted to drink and you just wanted to put your feet in but not get all the way in, you can do that there. Uh, they also have a hot tub in that area and lots of really nice um, deck chairs that have pillows for your head and a really nice, really, really nice area, just smaller and closed. Um, but also part of it is open air as well. So if you want to get some sun, you can. If you want to stay in the shade and just relax, you can. It's just a really nice area. It is for um, sailors that are 18 or above. Um, so it's just for the for the adults on board, but it's just a nice little area to just kind of get away and to just relax, either read a book or sit in the sun, whatever your preference is. Right, and they kind of had a, a halfway swim up bar. You can have your feet in the water and sit at the bar, which is really nice and uh, just nice to have that 
area away from the kids. And I will mention that even though you've got funnel vision and all these pools going on and splash pads right next door, they do a good job of sound dampening. I don't don't know how that happens exactly, but uh, you couldn't really hear any of that when you were in the Quiet Cove area. No, and I will say the area around the funnel vision is quite loud. They have the movie loud and the kids are, of course, very excited and loud. Um, I mean, that's just more of a fun, loud area. So this Quiet Cove is a nice area just to go if you just want something a little bit softer and uh, a little bit more relaxing. But it's just really nice. Like you said, you just can't really tell. That, and, of that's course, store. that is where you can pull up and get a drink, uh, <laughs> which will lead us into our food and drink discussion. Uh, so all of your food is basically paid for uh, when you pay for the cruise. But some people will note that, Disney can be quite more expensive than any other cruise line. We've never we've never gone on Royal Caribbean or Carnival, so we can't necessarily speak to that. But from what I've heard, um, at Carnival and Royal Caribbean, they do have more of a dining hall type feel. And if you'd like to purchase better restaurants, then you have to do that. So what Disney does is they built that cost in right away into the cost of the cruise, and then you get some phenomenal dining. Um, But let's talk first about the drinks. Those are not included in your purchase price. Uh, But what they do is they have... soda, soda and water. Yeah, soda and water are... are all included. And coffee. And coffee. Um, Just not like your alcoholic beverages or specialty coffee drinks. Or premium coffees, yeah. Uh, So they have a great selection of draft beers on the on the ship I was able to try a lot of different beers including the 687 which is their personal brew it's an IPA and it's named because this ship was the 687th ship to come out of the shipyard that uh, was building the Disney dream which I thought was kind of cool nice story to go along with it uh, I was able to purchase a beer mug for $14.99 and that beer mug got me 22 ounce beers for the cost of a 16-ounce beer. Uh, and not only that, I get to uh, keep that beer mug at the end of the trip, which if you went to Disney World and tried to buy a mug, you're probably going to spend $15 anyway. Well, so what happens is you you refill your mug, and then you turn it back in once you're done drinking, and then you get a new mug each time, and then at the end of the trip you get a fresh clean mug to take home which is really nice so you don't have to carry around this dirty mug everywhere you go uh and that that was a great feature uh anna got some mixed drinks and so did i and they were all really relatively inexpensive about five dollars a drink the drink of the day was only four dollars uh so you're not going to necessarily go broke purchasing alcoholic beverages on this ship which i really enjoyed as well let's talk about the dining experiences that we have the rotational dining is nice feature on the disney dream what they do is you're you keep the same server and assistant server your entire trip uh, but you rotate to different restaurants there's three restaurants on board royal palace uh, Enchanted Garden and the Animator's Palette. We have not had Enchanted Garden yet. That's where we're eating tonight. Um, so maybe we can m- provide an addendum to this <laughs> later. But uh, we have had Royal Palace and Animator's Palette, both uh, very different in what they offered, but also really cool experiences. Royal mm-hmm. Palace was more of that Cinderella's Castle kind of feel and provided for more like filet mignon, uh, smoked salmon, that kind of feel. Uh, Animator's Palette, the whole area is sketches when you walk in, and then it all gets transformed into Finding Nemo and the type of animation that that they did there. Um, The food was excellent as well. And that's more of a California-type 
type restaurant. They have the California type menu to go along with the animator's palette. Which makes sense because Disney, Pixar, Studios, all located right there in California. Our server and our assistant server have been a blast. They were they have been absolutely incredible. I have an allergy to cherries, which is kind of a weird allergy. Um, but he was sure to, to make sure that everything on the menu um, did not have cherries in it. And I just told him that the night that we boarded the ship. So that was well, not something that I planned before. And you ordered a dessert that ended up having um, something that you were allergic to in it. And so he knew that that sauce had it in it, and so he he made the dessert that you had the night before. Because yeah, he went back to Royal Palace and got me the dessert that I had the night before. Right. Even though it wasn't on the animator's palette uh, menu, I I was extremely impressed with the service uh, all throughout. Really, I mean, and even our housekeeping from everywhere, the, the service is impeccable. And it on seems like everyone who um, who's on on the team here, it seems like I've known them for ten years. That I'm right. coming home, and they know all about me and my family, and um, not intrusive and extremely friendly and just really, really nice. Yes. And uh, there's also adult dining options that do cost extra. Uh, we uh, got to experience one of them. The one that we did not experience is Palo. Palo is uh, Italian fare, so you can have a nicer Italian meal for an upcharge. What we went to was Remy. Uh, Remy is based off of Ratatouille, uh, and we actually ate in Gustav's kitchen and in, in his uh, restaurant, which is an exact replica of the restaurant that's in the movie Ratatouille. It was such a good meal. It was incredible. Uh, I loved every bit of it. It was like a seven-course meal. We've never done that kind of thing before. Uh, it was a bit pricey, but really for what you got, I think it was completely worth it. And something that's, that was nice and special, we told them that we were celebrating our anniversary because when you go to Disney, you're always celebrating something. Even though our anniversary is in October, we were still celebrating it in February. And um, just the, the service was like if you were in a, a very, very upscale restaurant and the the food was impeccable. Any additional comments on Remy? No, I, I forget what our server mentioned about the chef. I know he is... So that they well produced renowned. they produced two menus you can uh, choose from. The first menu is a French chef who has the highest rated Michelin rating, um, and also is. Uh, nominated for best chef in the world this year, uh, which is incredible. The second chef is an American chef, and he actually is the head chef at Victoria and Albert's. And anybody that knows Walt Disney World may know Victoria and Albert's is the extremely upscale restaurant that uh, we could probably never afford that's inside of the Grand Floridian. So really, your upcharge for Remy is better. I, I'm sure that we paid less for Remy than we ever would for Victoria or Albert's or going to this French chef's uh, restaurant. So Anna got the French menu, I got the American menu, and we were able to, to share back and forth, and everything was incredible. I don't do fish, and the fish was amazing. I mean, can we just talk about that that tomato soup bite that we had? Ugh. It was so good. Everything was so Everything good. Everything was so good. I, I completely They agree. had a wine specialist there to talk to you about the mm-hmm. pairings. Uh, we're not. I'm not a huge wine drinker. But he provided us with a nice Chardonnay. It was such a great experience. Mm-hmm. 
So let's uh, move from food and drinks and talk about the ports of call. This will be kind of a, a quick session, only because we only visited one of the ports of call. This is a four-night cruise that was stopping, stopping in Nassau on the second day of the cruise and then uh, Castaway Key on the third day of the cruise. So we did not get off the ship in Nassau. Uh, I've heard from multiple people that have toured the uh, Bahamas that Nassau is a bit of a tourist trap. Uh, a lot of people asking you what you want to buy, where you want to go, a uh, bunch of shops that, that may be kind of pushy and intimidating in how they sell you things. And we just weren't looking for that this mm-hmm. trip. I wanted to stay in the Disney bubble. And so we thought about getting off at Nassau about middle of the day and then just decided that it really wasn't worth it. So let's talk about the place that we did get off, which was Disney's private island, Castaway Key. Incredible incredible place you know those pictures you see with the bluest of waters and you think that there's no way that that's real this is what castaway key looks like it just the most turquoise sea i've ever seen and just serene and absolutely stunning like you were living in a corona commercial I mean, it was uh, it was incredible, and a lot of there's not many people that live on the island. Uh, I thought I heard a couple hundred of people that that live on the island, and so what happens is most of the ship staff goes and works on the island. So they prepare the Hawaiian barbecue that you have um, while you're on the island for lunch, which again is included in your food. Um, They are the servers and the bartenders in the different bars. We met uh, Putu, uh, who had talked to us in one of the lounges, um, which we didn't even talk about those, but maybe we can circle back to them. Uh, but he was he talked to us quite a bit in one of the lounges the a couple of nights before, and then he was the server on the beach, remembered us, uh, remembered that we were from Illinois, uh, really, really nice guy, uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. So we did a lot. Well, Anna and I have different types <laughs> of vacationing. Anna is much more into relaxing, and I am much more into activities and always being busy. And I think that this... Sh- cruise provided a good vacation for both of those types of uh, people. And one of the things that I was able to do at Castaway Key, I was able to go snorkeling. And I thought this was really cool. Um, I used to ride the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride at Walt Disney World when I was a kid. And they actually had one of those ride vehicles sunk to the bottom of Castaway Key, and you can snorkel right up to it. And I thought that was really neat. Um, I also was able to swim in the in the ocean, uh, just an incredible feeling, and Anna was able to relax on the beach the whole day. Yeah, they have really nice uh, lounge chairs, so I could just put my feet right in the water and just let the waves lap on, and it was wonderful. Uh, really, really nice experience, white sandy beaches, lots of seashells. Just beautiful, a really nice way to relax and enjoy a day. It was awesome. It sure was. So let's uh, move on to the entertainment. Uh, this this may take a few minutes to talk about because there's so much entertainment. Uh, first of all, if you had a child, they would absolutely love it here. Uh, there, We were able to go through the open house section uh, where you were able to see the different kids' areas. They had uh, Andy's Playroom, which looked like straight out of Toy Story. They had Pixie Hollow, which was 
uh, where Tinkerbell is from. And then they had a Millennium Falcon. They had a Star Wars area where I was able to sit and get a picture. And the cool part is these are only for kids. So uh, right. we were kicked out at 5 o'clock, and adults were no longer allowed into those areas. So that's what, with the open house, you're able to tour. And if you had any questions about your kids going through, that would be the great time to ask. Um, the rest of the cruise, that area is secure. They have bands that they wear, the children wear, and they get um, scanned in once they're inside, and then it's gated, and then they're scanned out when you come to pick them up. So it's a very secure area, and that's why they have that open house. So if you were to have questions as a family, you could come through. Every other time, it's a secure area for children only. They eat in that Oceaneers lab, uh, Oceaneers area. Um, they also make uh, different types of activities, like making your own flubber, uh, making coloring and painting. They do all of that in that area. So it really allows for the kids to be active while the adults are uh, having a bit of relaxation time or, or whatever they would like to do. And it's in a very secure area. And I think they do a nice job of age grouping as well. They also have a nursery for um, children three and under. Uh, and then the uh, they have a teen club as well. Other than the, like the Oceaneers Club is more for the... Three to 12 year Three to 12. And then they have a teens area as well. So they do a nice job of... Um, making something for each of the age groups for youth. And something special that they can say, like, I am in this area because I'm this age, which I thought was pretty cool. And, of course, it being Disney, there are characters everywhere. Uh, just today, you can see Stitch. You can see uh, Minnie Mouse, Mickey Mouse, Donald, Pluto. You can see all of these characters nice part about this ship experience is that unlike Walt Disney World, where you may be waiting for an hour, hour and a half to see these characters, uh, you get to just walk right up to them. I think that we had to wait, what, maybe 10 minutes for Captain Hook and Smee last night, and we didn't get to go see a lot of characters. We are going to go try to see Mickey tonight before we get off the ship, but uh, really enjoyable experience, and kids in particular would really love this, uh, or, you know... Courtney, if you're out there listening, you should come to a Disney cruise because I know how much you really enjoy seeing the characters. Well, and moving on to the Broadway-style shows, they have um, two showtimes each night, and there's three different Broadway-style shows on board, um, and I really enjoyed them. I enjoyed, uh, first night we saw the Golden Mickeys, which I really enjoyed. There's this part where they do a Tarzan number, and like... So the first day, I was having an incredibly hard time getting acclimated, and I didn't really even know how to walk. And then here's Tarzan. There's this uh, rope that comes down from the rafters, and he's just swinging around on a ship. It's like a circus Olay <laughs> number. I mean, it's he's incredible. Just like, he's just, like, spinning around like crazy while we're just sitting there feeling the ship rock and, and kind of uh, feeling sick to our stomachs. But... Um, also, we haven't seen the last show, which is Disney's Believe, uh, and I hear that it's a great villains tonight. They made the villains all comedic, so they're not too scary for the kids. No. Uh, really enjoyed that, too. And the, the quality of the shows are, are up there. I mean, it's Disney. They're, of course, going to have good quality shows. They also do first-run movies. We just haven't found the time to go sit in a movie theater. We've had too much to do or too much relaxing to do. Um, they are showing right now Moana, Finding Dory, Rogue One, and Dr. 
Doctor Strange, but I've seen all those movies, and uh, I just didn't want to necessarily sit in a movie theater. I want to still be out enjoying the ship, but it would be cool. Uh, we didn't get to see Beauty and the Beast like we thought we might be able to. Uh, had they been showing Beauty and the Beast, maybe we would have made time for that. Uh, maybe not. It just depends, because we, there is just so much to do on this ship. There's activities. You're given a daily navigator every single day, uh, which shows you different activities for different age groups. We're actually going to be wrapping this up shortly so we can run off to the uh, how to do Disney animation class that's going on just down the hall from us. So um, anything else on entertainment? Uh, Not necessarily entertainment, but um, just kind of mentioning that as far as Disney things go. There is a lot of Disney things to do, but if that's not for you, it's so subtle. Even in the rooms, it's a subtle hint, and Castaway Key, it's subtle. So if you're not somebody who necessarily is... You know, this is the Disney podcast, but I, they don't hit you in the face with it. It's just really nice and subtle. And um, What I thought was interesting is yesterday Anna mentioned to me, she said, I really enjoyed my time, or my time so far, but if I was looking to do something Disney, if I was looking to do a Disney vacation in particular, this may not have been the best uh, vacation for that. Right. I thought that was really interesting because I got the Disney vibe all the way through but like Anna was saying, it is much more subtle than Walt Disney World. It's also a lot more relaxing. It is. I mean, Disney yeah. World, you can you almost need a vacation from your vacation when you get back. Right. Um, this definitely is, is so relaxing and so nice. I will say that a lot of the activities happen very late at night. The last thing to mm-hmm. talk about in entertainment, they did a pirate night. Uh, everybody got involved. They sh- changed the ship music to Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me, and, and all those classic Disney tunes. Um, and then after... At 10.30 at night, they did a show uh, featuring Jack Sparrow and some other pirates. And then at 10.45, they did about a 10-minute fireworks display. They're the only cruise ship that does a fireworks display at sea, which was really cool to see. But it was pretty late uh, for us (laughs) oldies. Yeah, it was neat. I definitely think it was really neat. So, wrapping everything up, Anna, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? It's just, it's been a really nice, relaxing experience. I will say for me, day one was was hard, um, just because I had a really hard time getting used to the movement of the boat. Getting acclimated. Getting, <laughs> yes, thank you, getting acclimated. Um, especially that first day, we were really trucking it, trying to get down to NASA, and so um, I just had a really hard time, and I, I kind of freaked out. I thought I would hate the next four days, and I knew there was no getting off, so... Um, but truly after the next day and I really got used to it and the next morning um, I would say after we slept and we didn't need Dramamine after that, uh, and it, but people didn't mention that to us to begin with that you may feel kind of seasick when you first get on getting used to the ship. Uh, even sitting there for that first night show, I was just rocking back and forth, kind of like Anna thinking, oh man, what if I end up hating this because I feel sick and hopefully you'll get acclimated to the ship and then not feel that right and so now that i think i'm used to it and i've done it before i think i'd be okay next time but that first night definitely uh gave me a lot of anxiety yeah so last question would you do it again yes i would definitely do it again i think the just for the service alone is outstanding if you're looking for a place to not to come to relax not have to do uh not have to adult not have to do dishes or Um, cook dinner and just to really go on a nice family vacation. I'm really looking forward to bringing Liam sometime, um, our son, because I think it'd be really fun to 
uh, do that with him. Yeah, so our son is 15 months old. We did not bring him along with. There are a lot of little kids on this ship, but the schedule, the way that it is, I think that it would have been pretty difficult to bring him along. Of course, I say that having uh, maybe feel a little little guilty for not bringing him. But I almost say that 5 to 10 would yeah. be an awesome age range to enjoy this cruise, enjoy this experience, enjoy the Oceaneers Lab and the kids' clubs, uh, enjoy meeting all the characters and getting their autographs. I mean, that, I think, is a, the perfect age range, and I hope that we're able to do that again. Um, I think it would be awesome to bring Liam. I do think he would enjoy it, uh, and we would be able to relax a little bit more than what we're able to do at Disneyland or Disney World. Absolutely. So, thank you so much for listening to this portion of the podcast uh, where we're talking about the Disney dream while being on the Disney dream. We are running late to our animators class, so we're going to let you go. And what we're going to do now is you'll hear a break, which will probably be a sponsor drop. And then when we come back, our hope is to watch Beauty and the Beast before the month of March is out. And then we'll be discussing Beauty and the Beast, maybe with some other people involved as well. So thank you very very much and we'll see you real soon this episode of the front row movie reviews is brought to you by sarah b voice and piano studio owned and operated by the front row's very own sarah baltus fitzgeckner this is the place that you want to be if you want your child to learn the great craft of singing or playing the piano sarah baltus fitzgeckner is simply the best when it comes to teaching children the complicated art of music she not only relates to them in an amazing way for music but she also talks to them and makes them feel appreciated as a person first and makes them want to learn this craft so if you've got a child in the springfield illinois area that wants to learn music in either singing or piano sarah b voice and piano studio is the place to go you can find her online at www.sarahbstudio.com or you can find her on facebook by searching for sarah b voice and piano studio now it's on with the podcast hey so just kidding uh we are back and we are still on the Disney Dream, and uh, we wanted to address some of the things that we had forgotten about. We we went to our animator class. We were kind of in a rush to get there. We totally drew Dory. Uh, I actually did a pretty decent job. Yeah, you did for you. For you. <laughs> for you. Anna, of course, did much better than me. But uh, we started talking about a bunch of the stuff that we had missed and we wanted to do a quick little addendum to address some of those things. Uh, We even thought more about it as we were lounging out on the deck and catching some sun rays. All these people are going to hate you. I know, right? So first things first, Anna mentioned that there's kind of subtle Disney theming. Yeah, there's not subtle Disney theming. It's pretty Disney. I think we just... Anna and I are really into Disney. So maybe to us it, it doesn't hit us in the face, but I mean you're uh, it, it's Disney all the way through. You're you've got Disney music playing in all the halls. Uh, we went into Animator's Palette again for the animation class, and there's just Disney drawings and Disney characters and each the, chair is leather and it looks like a little Mickey pair of shorts. Uh huh. So, so I mean it's, it's pretty uh, it's pretty out there. So I mean if you were not into Disney, then, well, first of all, you're probably not listening to the podcast, but if you, you just need to know that there is Disney just everywhere. Anything else you wanted to say about theming? No, I think, I think that hits it spot on. It's more like the nautical side of uh, Disney. So lots of Donald and nautical Mickeys, and they're all about it here. 
And so that leads us into the other thing I wanted to address that I said. I mentioned we didn't bring 15-month-old Liam um, and that, you know, we were surprised to see so many small, small kids. And I think that that's just totally your personal preference. I mean, I am positive that the families that brought their little babies on the bo- on the boat had just as good of a time. We actually have been seeing this couple all week, and they have different outfits for their son. And so he was Prince Charming the day that we went to go see Anna and Elsa, We, which, by the way, we got to see Anna and Elsa, and it was awesome. Thanks um, for calling her Anna, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, then the next night we saw him as a pirate, uh, we saw him as a little shipmate. I mean, so he had little costumes. I just think that any age could enjoy this cruise. So I didn't want to come away with you thinking that I said that uh, uh, little kids probably couldn't enjoy it. I think well, that they would. And I think they may even enjoy it more. And I had, granted, I haven't done either with my son, but I think they may even enjoy it more than going to a park because you're not walking all over everywhere and everything right. is like right in the same spot. You need to go back to the room for a nap. You can. It's right there. Um, so I would think that they may even like it more. This is such a more relaxing experience than anything that the parks can provide. That is absolutely the case. Uh, let's talk a bit about the food and beverage places that we missed. Uh, first things first, there is a place called Frozone, and it is free ice cream all day, every day, 24 hours a day. Uh, you can get free ice cream cones, and it is phenomenal. They have a strawberry banana soft serve that you can do as a twist. Oh, oh, it's good. You got anything to add? You're the one that said free ice cream. <laughs> I know it is. It's really good, but your oh, oh, kind of got me. Oh, sorry. It was so good, though. It was good. It was very good. All right. Um... Additionally, we mentioned the rotational dining at night. We didn't really talk about what you do during the day. Well, there's 24-hour room service, and it's provided. So you can uh, call in or ask for room service to be delivered. We just had room service this morning for breakfast. Um, Breakfast is going to be at multiple locations, including the rotational dining location. Some of them are open for breakfast. But you're not limited to your location that you have to go to for dinner. You can go wherever you want to for breakfast. Exactly. And there's also a place open for breakfast and lunch, and it's called Cabana's. Cabana's is more of a a, a buffet style. Uh, You walk up, you get your Mickey waffles, you get your poached eggs, and you get your bacon, and then you go back to either your stateroom or to your seat. And then for lunch, they have a huge option. Wouldn't you say it's similar to like a Tusker house, if you've ever been to a Tusker house style Absolutely. It's very good. Disney always does buffets really well. Um, Lots of options to choose from for breakfast and for lunch. Uh, There's also a place uh, called Flo's Cafe for for lunch. It's more like a, a stand where you can grab your item and then go have a seat outdoor. So it's more of the outdoor dining by the pool area. And it could be uh, today. We had I had a Philly cheesesteak, and Anna had a hamburger. Uh, you can get salads from there. You can get wraps from there. They do have some healthy options, and including uh, all the rotational dining, have a lighter fare menu. So uh, if you're not looking to fill yourself up on a cruise, which if you're not, then why are you on a cruise? Uh, but you can get some lighter options as well. Um, 
Last thing to talk about in the beverage area is the district. The district is a place specifically for adults. They actually say 18 and older, so I don't know if, um, I guess if you're not drinking, they'll still let you in. Sure. But the district has a couple of places. The district lounge, which is kind of the gateway into the other bars and areas. They also have a dance club called Evolution, which we didn't really go into much. I went in there uh, just before doing the 5K, which I'll mention in a second. Um, But they also have Skyline Lounge, which basically they have these big screens in this lounge area, and they change to five different cities around the world. And actually one of them is Chicago, then New York, Rio, Paris, and Hong Kong. So uh, the different places, the drink menu is actually themed around those five different locations, and you can get any of the drinks that you want uh, from those five locations. Uh, another place we didn't really go into much was the Pink Champagne Bar. It is very pink and lots of champagne, uh, from what I could tell. And then the last place that I really enjoyed the getting the beers from, not necessarily hanging out in, uh, was Pub 687. And again, that's where I was able to get that 687 beer, which is unique to the ship and uh, to the ship's number. This was the 687th ship to come out of that particular shipyard, uh, which I think is pretty neat. So uh, you can get also 15 other draft beers there, and it's more of a sports bar type atmosphere anything to add on those no i just think they're all they're all neat they're uh kind of interconnected um i will say they're smaller than i thought they'd be um especially skyline especially skylines are kind of like a small little lounge area um but really nice really nice service there of course too and uh, just a good place to hang out if you're looking for that type of thing. And they're open till 2 a.m., so, I mean, you really can find something to do on the ship. The the movies, actually, tonight, the last movie is Rogue One, and it starts at 11 p.m., so you can really find something to do just about any time on the ship. Last thing that we wanted to talk... Well, before last thing, mention uh, Castaway Key and all the activities that you could do. I did my first run Disney event. Uh, it was the Castaway Key 5K, which was a free event, so it was really nice because you didn't have to pay to do it. And uh, we did get a medal. It was super hot. Um, so I would recommend that if you've never done a 5K before, maybe just walk this 5K, which you're allowed to do. It's not strictly timed. Um, but it is kind of cool to be able to get off the ship see a little bit of the island that maybe you wouldn't see i got to see the observation tower on the island well which and I you would guys not have seen. you guys got to get off got to leave first. the boat first right yeah, yeah we did That's uh, cool. which was nice too so that was like first thing in the morning um before it got too hot and it it was nice. It was fun. Uh, a lot of really good runners. Actually, the Princess Half Marathon just happened in Magic Kingdom and Epcot uh, on Sunday. So a lot of the people from the Half Marathon jumped on this cruise. So it, it ended up being that uh, I had a lot of pretty solid runners with me. Um, I did probably about five minutes slower than I normally do a 5K, but I think that that was pretty much because of the 82-degree uh, start time temperature, which is way hotter than I'm used to, but it was a lot of fun in case you're into that kind of thing. Now, the absolute last thing we wanted to talk about, we really wanted to hit on the service more. Um, the service aspect is really what Dis- what sets Disney apart from everybody else. Uh, I I can't tell you 
it's hard because they're wanting us to fill out a comment card and put which crew members did an excellent job. And it's almost like we would have to list every single crew member that we had any kind of contact with. The I know Anna wanted to specifically mention the turndown service. Yeah, it's so nice. Um, I've not stayed at a, a place that does that before. Um, but it is really nice to come back to your hotel room after dinner and um, to have that turned down, the bed turned down, uh, all ready to slip in, and uh, they actually flip the pillow. So that's kind of cool. So it changes to a, a dream is a wish your heart makes, uh-huh. right, when you're fast asleep. So it's just neat little touches like that um, that I really appreciate. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, the the bar staff is very helpful, especially if you're just asking for what kind of drink you should get. Um, they're also just really talkative and they really get to know you. They want to know where you're from. The wait staff and the servers in the rotational dining are just incredible. Uh, and I, I can't stress enough how good they are at their jobs so Mm -hmm. the the service is definitely excellent it's what you come to expect uh you actually see the bridge crew quite a bit this morning we were getting coffee Mm -hmm. and some members of the bridge crew were talking to us and asking us where we were from and if we've enjoyed the cruise and all that and um the captain is very accessible it's captain thor by the way which i think (laughs) is incredible um but i just cannot cannot commend them enough for the level of service that you get while you're on this cruise and we're not in the concierge level so i can't even imagine those people are getting even above superior care but i think that's what makes disney so special is that regardless of which room you stay in you get that feeling that same level of service that same level of service so i i see what you're saying but i don't think that that's necessarily true All right. I think that we have crossed off every single thing on the list. I'm sure that we will go to dinner and talk about it more, and we'll come up with nine other things. But I promise no more addendums. Uh, If you want any more information about the Disney cruise, uh, actually just email the Front Row Movie Reviews at gmail.com, and I'd be happy to talk to you about it uh, and our experiences Last thing I will mention, it was really cool. We were in Nassau, and not to speak ill of other cruise lines, but the Disney the Disney Dream looked pretty awesome next to the Royal Caribbean and Carnival uh, cruise ships that we were next to. It just looked like a ship. It looked uh, really nice. So anyway, uh, with that, I am Craig McFarland. I'm Anna McFarland. And we will see you in the front row. there in podcast world and youtube land um we are the front row movie reviews and you have just been listening to mine and anna's uh (laughs) review uh ship report of the disney dream and we are back on dry land it's actually been in exactly a month since uh the boat left yeah we want to go back (laughs) any final thoughts 
I mean, I'll go back someday, but like to me, it just doesn't compare to like going to Disney World. I haven't been to Land, so I can't compare, but it's just not the same. They're two totally different vacations. Right, right. I so, mean, but it was just so relaxing, enjoyable, yeah. blah, blah, blah. We we loved it. You listened to the the first half of this podcast, and now we're going to get into uh, what we promised to be the second half of our Beyond the Mouse this week, and that is talking about the live-action Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Uh, with us today, uh, my name's Craig McFarland, and we've got... The lovely Anna McFarland next hey. to me. Uh, but then also with us, the editor-in-chief of the Far Movie Reviews, Jeremy Geckner. Hey, what's up? Uh, fun fact, I was on that vacation, too. You just didn't see me. <laughs> he was the camera guy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> he stored away in our stateroom. Sometimes sometimes I, you know, freelance as a uh, cruise ship captain. You know, it's a, it's or, a skill. Or just a, a creepy luggage dweller. <laughs> I wonder if you could fit a human being in a luggage, uh, in a suitcase. I mean, I'm sure you could. It's just whether they would be alive still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, best not to chance it. Best not. I'll All just, right. I'll just go on my own someday. Alive objects. Oh! <laughs> Nice. Look at that. <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, well, first of all, we uh, you already heard... Sarah and Jeremy talk about this a little bit in rapid reaction. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, I'd suggest that you go watch that first or listen to that first because um, they don't do any spoilers. They um, give a, a pretty good overview of the movie. Um, I disagree with them vehemently on one point, and so oh, I'm going to talk to Jeremy about that. <laughs> but uh, this is going to be more of a full disclosure type setting, so we are going to allow for spoilers. Granted, uh, there's not a lot of spoilers in a movie that is being <laughs> remade after a 1991 classic, <laughs> yeah. um, but there were some changes in this movie, and they made some different they 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 made some different uh, decisions with the direction. So we are going to talk about those potentially as they come up. So you have been warned. Uh, this is uh, spoiler territory starting just about now. Gaston dies. <laughs> <laughs> We have to do it. We have to do it every time. It's so true. And uh, he really does die. Yeah, he's dead. He's Um, gone. Um, No, so the first thing I want uh, to talk about is just overall first impressions. I know, Jeremy, you gave some of that uh, in your rapid reaction, but uh, what... What's your first impressions of this film? Yeah, I'll, I'll be a little brief here because, as you said, Sarah and I talked about it for about 10 minutes. Um, we're, we're Beauty and the Beast of files. Like, you know, I know a lot of – I know you two are just general, like, Disney files, you know. Like, that's – you're the whole spectrum of Disney. And Sarah and I love Disney, but Beauty and the Beast is – I think by far the best animated film of all time, um, and this didn't disappoint me. Um, I liked that they took some new chances. I liked that they added some new songs. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, I don't understand where the kind of the hate comes from for this movie. Um, I know a lot of people want to point to the Rotten Tomatoes score and say, like, oh, it's not as good as these movies. Again, not how Rotten Tomatoes works, but let's just skip over that for now. Um, I, I just think I was so thoroughly enjoyed everything about it, and I was looking to be the harsh critic of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, Sarah and I were looking like, if you do this movie wrong, we are going to call you on it. And only a few little squabbles, and the thing was just such a visual feast to look at. Um, not one moment where I was disappointed, and definitely a lot of eyeball sweats. So, um, yeah, it was just, I, I really thoroughly loved it. But I want to know what you guys thought of it, all right? I want to know what you. Yeah. I was like you, Jeremy. I really didn't want to go see it. Um 
just because I didn't know how the live action would translate with objects. It just didn't seem like it would work to me. And then uh, after I watched it, it made actually more sense to me in the live action than it does in the animated. Yes. And like they tied up everything that I had problems with before. And like, it just makes so much more sense. I loved it. And that was awesome. And it, it was already one of my favorite movies. So yeah, <laughs> I think they did a great job. Yeah, I mean, um, I I really enjoyed the film. It was two hours and nine minutes long, and it felt like it was an hour and a half. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it felt like it kept moving and moving and moving and moving. Um, I I went into that thinking, my bias here is the Broadway musical, and yeah. I know that we'll get into this later. I personally think that the Broadway musical is too long um, because you're sitting there for two and a half hours, and it feels like two and a half hours to me. And I know that. Some people really like the arrangements. I know that Alan Macon did some great work, but there's a couple of Bell songs in there that I, I just could care less for. <laughs> I actually kind of um, agree with you. you know. But uh, based on that, I kind of went into this thinking it's two hours and ten minutes long. Is it going to feel like I'm, I'm sitting in a movie theater for two hours and ten minutes? And it didn't. I, to me, it, it completely it moved the whole way through, which is good because – the, the audience for this is not only us that have nostalgia for the 91 film, but also for the new generation of kids that are going to be coming and seeing this as their first Beauty and the Beast. And that's why the animated movies generally run about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. because that's the attention span of some kids. So <laughs> yeah. this, uh, I think that this would still hold the attention of those younger kids and um, still give some of the answers to us adults about some of the, the areas of the film that didn't quite make sense to us. Uh, whether that be, why did the villagers forget about the castle? Or how did Maurice even get there? How much time has passed? Are they going through full seasons? If they are going through full seasons, then why is Maurice just now getting thrown into the asylum? There's just so many questions that are actually answered in this film. Mm-hmm. Like Anna said, and I really, I really did enjoy it uh, thoroughly. So, uh, with that, yeah. let's go ahead and start talking about some characters. And I, I want to start this off because it's my show, and I can. Yeah, um, right. My standout character by far in this film was Luke Evans. Yes, no. um, <laughs> I loved everything about that guy's portrayal of Gaston. You know, because at the beginning, uh, and I, you mentioned this in your rapid reaction, uh, but you, you're almost on his side yeah. a little bit. Because <laughs> He just seemed like the goofy bro that um, mm-hmm. wanted the girl, and he just seemed kind of dumb, but he was willing to help Maurice, mm-hmm. especially when um, when Maurice comes back to the tavern and uh, he says that Belle is trapped by this beast. That's the point in the animated film where he immediately gets thrown into the asylum, yeah, essentially. crazy old um, Maurice. <laughs> but right. But when Gaston was like, yeah, I'll help you, I was thinking, like, oh, yeah, I'll help you put you in the asylum. Mm-hmm. But then, no, they cut away, and then they come back to it, and they're traveling in the woods. I mean, granted, that's when he gets the, the idea to leave Maurice for the wolves, but initially... He also finds Agatha, so it works out. Yeah, he, yeah. Thought, he, thought, that he, he <laughs> thought that that was going to be, um, you know, that was, was going to be his end with Belle, um, but... 
I just thought that his portrayal, his singing, mm-hmm. uh, was perfect for Gaston. Oh, yeah, Gaston uh, was so good. I love the new lyrics in Gaston, too. I, yeah, I and actually, like. actually, fun story, just a quick aside about those new lyrics, because I was reading the trivia on this movie. Um, apparently, the new lyrics in the song Gaston were lyrics that the late Howard Ashman actually wrote for the 91 film, but Disney apparently felt like they were too adult for the film, and so they were cut out. And so as a point of reference to what uh, to kind of honor him in this adaptation, Mencken demanded that they put in those old lyrics. Oh, had, that's cool. which is just really really cool and they actually work really yeah. well because you're right like the greatest thing that they did in this like look luke evans is already a likable guy all right like he's a likable actor and the fact that like gaston's already a, a standout in both the animated film and the stage show but like they they give him so much more depth here and so much more to play with i love that his mean streak had to be coaxed out of him slowly throughout the the course of this film because it's just like in the anime film he's just goofy you know he's just like that you know brawn guy is just like full of himself and then he turns mad it still works really well in the animated film but in this one it's just like it's kind of more tragic, you know, because you just kind of like when she when she kind of like denies him dinner for the first time, where he asks her if she has plans, and she's just like no, and he's just got this dopey look on his face. I was just like, oh, like come on, yeah, I kind of feel for him. Now, I, I maybe I'm going to lose my cred as a, a movie review podcast host, but what has Luke Evans been in? Look, I think his biggest credit was Dracula Untold. He played Dracula in that. Oh, that, that uh, would be why I don't know him. Yeah, but then a lot of other things. Uh, I, I think he has some TV credits, too. I'll look him up here while you keep talking about him. On the behind <laughs> the scenes, I did, uh, I did hear that he was going to turn down the role, and he was talked into it by his daughters, which I always think is kind of a neat story. Um, he didn't know if it was for him, and then uh, his daughters were like, no, man, you got to do this. And I do enjoy uh, those types of stories, but um, do you have anything else to add on Gaston? Oh, no, not that nothing more than what you guys have already said. Just that okay. he was outstanding. And I thought he just portrayed it so well. How and about his- your standout actor in this? Um, oh gosh, I would have to, and I always call him, um, Matthew Crawley. What's his Dan name? Stevens. Dan, Dan Stevens. Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Matthew Crawley did a fantastic job as the playing team. his Downton Abbey character <laughs> yet again. Um, no. but, but truly, he did though, because think like I always think of how much makeup and costuming is with the Beast, and to be live action and to be able to act through all of that. Like I thought that was really impressive, but I still really felt for the Beast. And yeah, he did all know. that motion capture by himself for the for the most part, right? I mean, he yeah. So he had um, he had the little doodads all up mm-hmm. on his face and everything. Yeah, and apparently, apparently, out. apparently, the director wanted it to be practical makeup, um, but. Uh, after they filmed it, they said that they wanted they'd rather do it digitally. So they actually performed him with me- like practical makeup and then reshot oh, really? him with digital. So wow. he did both. Wow. Um, I'd really like to see what the practical makeup looked like. But yeah, no that, kidding. That was one of the things that I was worried about in this movie because in the trailers, the CGI of the Beast kind of eh, yep. was worrying me a little bit because I was like, me too, little too cartoony. But when you see him, and that's because mostly in the trailers, all you're seeing is his face. When you see the full right. physical. Physicality of the beast, it totally works. And oh, yeah. his, I, I don't know what they did to modulate his voice, but the beast voice is just really, really great and menacing at the beginning, like it should be. Um, and yeah, I'm, like, 
I'm laughing because it's a lot better than Batman. What is that? Pass the chair. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Bale is the beast. Okay, so that story is from Brian at after the after the hype when uh, when Dark Knight first came out uh, and Batman begins and well mainly Dark Knight is when Christian Bale decided to to go butch with his Batman. Um, he he was like, could you imagine Batman coming to Thanksgiving dinner and just be like. Pass the turkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a good call out for Brian. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh no, but I I totally agree. I like that. Uh, I like his uh, singing too. I mean, he only get, the Beast only gets to sing a few things. Even in the Broadway show, he only gets one or two songs. But I liked Evermore. Evermore was a good addition. Now, obviously, and what I'm finally realizing, I didn't at the beginning of this, but we were all in the same production of Beauty and the Beast together, yeah. and I totally forgot that for some reason. But. We were just lowly ensemble. Members, oh, stop! So I that. get it. Loom, uh, candlestick man. Well, I'm gonna uh, say that. So I was a silly girl. Silly girl. Yeah, yeah come on now. And Craig. I was a spoon. <laughs> um, no, I also said, bonjour, bonjour. Yes, and did some massive tin cup dancing. So, um, <laughs> uh, you said ten cup, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. Tin, <laughs> tin, tin, cup. Ten. tin okay. cup. Tin uh, cup. <laughs> So, uh, one thing to mention about the CGI, because this actually has come up recently, um, even in like our trailer reactions and things like that. When you when you're looking at a trailer, that's not the final product either. So, like for instance, um, just now uh, to take this out of the realm of, of Disney for a second, a lot of people are dogging on Justice League's trailer that just dropped because of Cyborg yeah. uh, looking like a cartoon, basically. But that's what happens when um, the CGI is not done quite yet. So, yeah. uh, just to defend that, and, and like the same thing happened with with uh, Captain America: Civil War when you saw Spider Man for the first time, mm-hmm. it was kind of a little uh, a little. Actually, yeah, all that. So, um, and I'll, I'll tell you this: I wanted to jump off the ever, evermore song point because um, it was a really good song. Um, and you know, it's Alan Menken. If you don't know Alan Menken's name, you should. He's written every great Disney song you love. Um, that's not from that's, the Lion. That's not from Richard Sherman. Yeah, or that. Yeah, from the Golden Age there. Um, but like Sarah and I, one of the things that we kind of didn't like was that they shied away from the Broadway songs. And mm-hmm. I under I, I completely get, and I'm going to guess why their reason was because they wanted it to be a separate thing. They didn't want to be beholden to the animated too much or to the Broadway show. Problem yeah. is, as good as a song as Evermore is, "If I Can't Love Her" is in a ridiculously great song from the Broadway album. And it would have fit perfectly in that in that spot in the show. And for me, I, it's like, like it's like one of the best Broadway songs of all time. Yeah, I don't know. I just I love that song. I think it's and so hearing good. Dan Stevens sing Evermore, he could have pulled off if I can't love her. But again, yeah. that's more Broadway geeky stuff. But like, and you know, they do use some of the orchestrations from the Broadway uh, show. Like I, I think they used a uh, home in uh, some some of Bell's. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, bedroom scenes, but did that bother you guys like it did us, knowing the Broadway songs that they kind of shied away yeah, from? Yeah, because I would like it would be in that singing, and I would in my head think of the song that's supposed to be there, and then it wouldn't happen. Yeah, so it'd be like a little bit let down. It was a bit of a uh, letdown because we didn't see it for like the the first week or so, um, and. I kept hearing how people really reacted positively to Evermore. Mm-hmm. So I knew about that song and, and the playlist was on Spotify, but I did not want to listen to it before no, I saw the movie. I didn't either. The, I, I listened to one song and that was Belle, um, just because I kind of already heard it from the clip and I just was interested in it. Um, and that song, we'll talk about the auto tune later, but um, I, I, you know, I don't, I think that, 
if I can't love her would have been a better impact. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that could have been a nice uh, nod to the Broadway show and they could have brought that in. Nothing against how he sang Evermore. I just didn't enjoy nope. it as much of the song. It just wasn't emotionally as impactful for me. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And, um, and, you know, but Dan Stevens, though, the, one of the things that I love, 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 love about this movie, can you tell that I love this part of it? Um, I love how they delve into the Beast's backstory and how yeah. they give him a reason for being how he is. Because in the animated film, we do not get that. And I guess mm-hmm. you don't need it when you're in an animated film that's geared more towards kids. You just understand the prince is evil and, you know, he has to change. But when you're gearing it more towards adults like this one is, man, like, like it, it worked so well what he did. I mean, when Mrs. Potts uh, says there, you know, like we, we, you're right. We did nothing. We saw what his father was turning him into and mm-hmm. we didn't do anything. Like I was just like, that makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And, it, and mm-hmm. I just, the and way that Dan Stevens, yeah. And the way that yeah. Dan Stevens played those scenes was just so great. There's a torturedness behind the snobbishness and it's, it was just wonderful. I thought. Yeah, and, then, and it, it makes sense for why they cast Emma Watson then, because when you uh, looked at it at first, you're like, oh, she's 28 years old, 27 years old, playing Belle, and Belle's supposed to be a teenager. Well, they aged, rightly so, they aged the beast, because one of the biggest critiques of the animated film was you've got this 11-year-old that is being uh, told because he, he turned away a beggar that he's going to be a beast for the rest of his life. He Is it really fair to punish what amounts to 11 year old because they say that when he transforms back into a prince he's 21 and that it well, 10 years spell, 10 years yeah before his 21st birthday, his yeah. 21st birthday and, and uh lumiere says that. 10 years they've been rusting in be our guest so yeah right which and, they and change in this yeah to too long yeah uh, smart but, change <laughs> um jeremy Tell me about your favorite actor or character from this show. Um, you know, it's Gaston would have been it, um, but we've take we've taken him. So I'll just praise some of the other lesser knowns. Well, not lesser knowns, but kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I absolutely, I actually really liked uh, Cadenza. I mean, it was really small, but I liked that that was an added character. I mean, Stanley Tucci, he's amazing. Um, Obviously, Queen Audra McDonald, six-time Tony winner. Um, I mean, she and I, Sarah and I, absolutely lost it when she started singing the Beauty and the Beast theme at the end, and I was like, yeah, "Hell yeah, I was man! So glad they did that. You got Audra. You better use her, man." Um, but uh, Josh Gad as LeFou, um, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Because I like that they kind of give him a moral dilemma in this movie. I love that they kind of don't make LeFou just the mindless sidekick at the end of this movie, especially in the mob song. I love that he kind of has to kind of figure out why, you know, he's helping Gaston. And I actually kind of like that their relationship, minus any homosexual overtones, is like kind of a little bit more developed, you know? Because I get the, I got the sense, and I don't know if I even heard this in the movie, but I got the sense that they were like comrades in the war together and mm-hmm. that, you know, like that's kind of where, you know, LeFou kind of befriends him and that kind of sticks with him. And uh, definitely in the tavern scene, I love that he's like paying money to get people involved to like uh, cheer Gaston up and everything. I don't know. It's just a, a cooler version of LeFou than I've ever seen. Because, All I right, mean, so I'm going to stop you there. All right. Um, because <laughs> this is what didn't work for the movie for me was that you cast Josh Gad and then told him to, to, to hold back <laughs> on his acting. You. Um, so LeFou in French means the fool Mm -hmm. and, uh, that character is supposed to be your goofy sidekick. And I get that they wanted, 
this is nothing against the fact that they wanted to make a gay character. Um, I think that that's very, like, I mean, I'm glad that they did. But mm-hmm. they, I feel like they used that as an excuse to draw back his character. And Josh Gad could be the perfect LeFou, but in this movie... He was not the perfect LeFou because he did have too much of a moral dilemma. He's not supposed to be that kind of character. He's supposed to be the the comedic relief sidekick. And uh, I honestly, like Josh Gad was the one character in this movie I could have taken or leave it. I people Actually, are saying, I, 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 I mean, I, I would have, uh, and, and that's sad because he is probably the, he's probably the person that was cast the best. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean if you go online and watch funny. like Book of Mormon videos, I mean, he can right. play. I mean, he can play up goofy, <laughs> right? And you know, and I get like you could still have a relationship with Gaston and all that, but it almost is just like I bet he walked on set that day that they recorded Gaston, and he was going to he was going to blow the roofs off that place, and it's almost like the director was like, "Okay, I like that, but take it back a notch." Like to me, it just seemed like mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't the LeFou I wanted, uh, and which is sad because, again, I expected a lot of Josh Gad because he's been fantastic in Disney movies. If he's Olaf, he's been fantastic in Book of Mormon. I even like 1600 Pen, and like three people watched that show. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed the guy, and I just think that you and cast that guy, and then you, you tell him not to be himself. I, I don't could, know. It, I, no, I, I actually I actually hear you on that. Um, I didn't really think about it. I think I was probably more like drawn up in like the tone that they were presenting and just kind of like, oh, we're trying new things and oh, there's a new thing and everything. And probably but I, I understand you. I, I, I hear you on that because you're right. Like if you got Josh Gad, let him do what he does best, especially for a character like LeFou. Um, yeah, you know, and I let's talk about the gay moment because that became the controversy and, you know, this place is not showing this film because of it. Um, right. The, the, the gay moment um, that they alluded to in the interview with uh, Entertainment Weekly was actually him dancing at the end with one of the guys from the tavern. Right. Um, which I believe is Stanley. <laughs> Stanley? Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which that happens for maybe a half a second. Um, but I think that one thing I will give LeFou's character credit for is that they do set up that moment really well mm-hmm. because you can tell that his admiration for Gaston mm-hmm. is more of a love for Gaston. Yeah. Now, I don't know if it, it – I don't know. You can say either way, like, I don't think in his portrayal, Josh Gad made it seem like he was, like – I did think he he made it seem like he was in love with Gaston, um, and that he admired him, and and you know that um, that he he wanted to spend his life with him, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that that part of it was good, and I'm really glad that they uh, have at least come out publicly and said that they had a gay character. Obviously, there's been some uh, gay characters or potentially gay characters in the past that just weren't confirmed to be that way. And I think that Disney, like a company like Disney coming out and putting that in their, uh, one of their major tentpole movies for the year will only further progress that cause. And that I'm, I'm glad with. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I think I counted one other like gay moment that wasn't with Gaston and that was in the song Gaston. So maybe it counts, but like when he does say Tom Dick and Stanley, he kind of hits Stanley a little bit harder and he's just kind of puts a little more mustard on the, the, the uh, singing of his name. Mm -hmm. And it's, and he's just kind of there like looking at his nails and stuff. So I'm like, 
Okay, maybe maybe those two hooked up or something in the well, past. Well, one of the funniest moments of the movie to me um, was when uh, Audra McDonald as the wardrobe yeah. dresses the guys at the end, and Stanley kind of walks down like he likes it. Yeah, <laughs> kind of likes it. So I I really I liked that. Yeah, but I mean, like in terms of in a vacuum, the the controversy is so blown out of proportion. I mean, like. Anything like that's going to be nowadays, which is sad, but we just got to remember that we're raising a, a generation of kids that won't see that as a, an issue at all. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it, it's like every helps. generation, every generation potentially has their prejudice. And I would say that um, millennials get beat on a lot, but as a generation, I feel like uh, we don't have many of those prejudices left, um, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. And so the further we get from that, uh, the better. Uh, yeah. And so I think that stuff like this helps because this gay moment may have only been a second long, but the next one might be 10 seconds long. And then the yeah. next one might be 10 minutes long. And then the next one might be a gay character as a lead in the film. Hey, you know, you know, Mulan might, might not have the general dude to fall in love with next year. All right. Maybe right. it's another woman. I don't know. Right. Um, right. Well, you know, you know, I mean, it just, it, I think that it's good that they did put it in, even if it was for a second. Yeah. And I just want to mention one last character just because I have to, cause he's one of my favorite actors of all time, but Kevin Klein, um, I love everything this guy does. Yeah. I thought he, I thought he put a Maurice. I thought he put a better spin on Maurice than I've ever seen because you all, you, yeah. we all know because we've done the stage show too. He has always played for the bumbling idiot and yep. to give him a lot more depth and a lot more sadness and reasons why he's overprotective of his daughter. And dignity. And, like yeah. they gave him dignity. dignity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean like, you know, they give him a, they give him a little song because he's Kevin Klein and he's a Broadway legend. Um, you know, it's kind of forgettable, but it's sweet. But it's but like the the characterization that he got to do and pull out of Maurice is a lot better than anything I've seen even from the 91 movie, I thought. And I know that it wasn't him. It was a younger Maurice. But uh, when they go back uh, to the moment where Belle's mother died, yeah. I mean, talk about like that just really makes you get why Maurice is so protective over Belle mm-hmm. and just that well, he love that he has there. for her. I mean, and so I, I really agree with you. I think Maurice's character was a huge upgrade in this, in yeah. this movie. Yeah. Well, well and I think I it was a big... I think it was a big cultural upgrade, too, because the way they portrayed him wasn't somebody who's, you know, an older man who's bumbly. He was he had a lot of depth and, and stuff there to him. So I think that that really helps, too. Yeah, okay, well, I don't think we can uh, stop a, you know, we can't uh, avoid the lead uh, in the movie. <laughs> so I do want to talk about Emma Watson, and, and I'll go first. Um, I thought that she was a very good Belle. And I think that if people... Uh, People are like selectively comparing this to the animated film, and then sometimes not. They're like, "We like the parts that aren't the animated film, but Emma Watson can't sing as good as well as Paige O'Hara." Which I don't, I don't think that that's. It's a different type of character. And did I like the auto tune in Bell in particular in the song Bell? No, (laughs) I didn't. I I thought it. I thought it, especially when you listen to the soundtrack by itself, not in the movie. um, I think it's pretty bad. But I agree. I think that they did her a disservice by giving her so much auto tune. I, I think that she probably could have done it on her own a little bit more than they, they let her do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I think that she acted this character so well, you know, uh, Emma Watson is someone that is, uh, 
she fights for women's rights. I mean, she, she constantly yeah. is, um, going out and, and trying to support, uh, women's initiatives around the world. And so she brought that to Belle, you know, and that, that independence that Belle had in the animated film was just, um, brought to, brought tenfold in this movie. And I, I did enjoy that a lot. I liked her performance. Yeah. Anna? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I don't know. Her singing doesn't compare at all to the animated. I don't think you no, can compare her though to the other Belle. I don't think that's fair because it's just a completely different character. I think it's, uh, I mean, it has the right feeling and undertone to it, but she, I think she's a better Belle that I'll say it. She's a better Belle than the animated feature. I just Ooh, think she has wow. more. Hot take. I know. I <laughs> she has more depth to her and the way she acts it is like one of the differences I noticed is even just walking up the stairwell when she's going to the West wing. She walks with, like, power and authority, mm-hmm. and she's a strong woman. And then I'm comparing that in my mind to when she walks up the staircase as an animated feature, and she has this, like, little girly sway to her, and that's fine. But I just see Belle as being somebody who's stronger, strong woman, and I think that Emma played that better than the animated feature did. I think the feature had more aspects that the animators threw in that maybe the character wouldn't really have. Even her interaction with Gaston, uh, like Jeremy said earlier, when Gaston says, oh, are you busy? When she, he asks her to dinner and she says, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> just, <you> know, bye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just see her as playing it more through a woman's perspective than maybe the animated feature did. I yeah. Know. And I mean, they, that, that's kind of, that's kind of what Belle is. I mean, that's kind of why she's seen as such a great Disney princess is because she's kind of the only one who doesn't need a man, you know, like she, right. she's, right. Well, I mean, now there's iterations of that, like Moana and uh, I guess Merida from Brave, if you want to go down that road, too. But we won't because I hate that movie. But um, <laughs> it's uh, – yeah, see, I got to compare it to three people. I got to compare it to Paige O'Hara, to Susan Egan from Broadway, and to my lovely wife, Sarah, who played Belle um, here at the Muni the first time they did it. Um, and again – that's we were looking for these harsh criticisms, all right? Bell was watching Bell in that movie theater, and she liked what Emma Watson did. Now you're right, Craig. The auto tuning at the very first song, it, it bugged the hell out of me too. But then you get something like um, something there, for example, where she isn't singing with auto tune. She's not hitting the notes as purely as other seasoned singers, but the characterizations she's putting into it make it work. And like your point there, and Scott and I kind of had a conversation about this, was like you can't go just on a soundtrack from a movie musical because right. there, this is movie musical, which means acting is a part of it, no matter what. Right. Unless you're a Broadway singer, you know, the song is going to depend on how you act it. And what she did, what you guys already said about her characterization of Belle, it was a lot more independent. It was a lot more um, brazen and, and self-reliant. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, like that they have I, – I, I talked to somebody. I can't remember who it was who actually like hated that scene where the town folk like destroy her washing machine and like, you know, like persecute her for teaching a girl to read. And I was like, no, that's a perfect scene because you know what? In the animated movie, why do they like her? Why don't they like her? Because she reads. 
And it's just right. like, that's it. Right. In this one, she's actually doing something at the time that was socially taboo. And, you know, then on top of that, she's odd. Oh, and her father's odd. It made more sense. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I love how every time she's walking, her dress is hiked up, you know, on one side right. so that she can run and stuff. I, I thought her characterization was spot on. Yes, she's not a Broadway singer. She's not going to be a Broadway singer. I mean, well, somebody will put her on Broadway stage. But, like, yeah. you know, no, she's, <laughs> she's not play. that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But. I thought I thought that you know all things being equal with what she did with the character it worked her singing worked just like uh, Emma Stone in La La Land this year Emma Stone mm-hmm. sings better than she does in La La Land she is a better singer than that she started right. on Broadway in cabaret that's all belting but their character in La La Land sang that way and it's the same thing here so yeah She's not the standout of the movie to me. I guess maybe some people would call that a failing. I don't because I just think mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast is naturally your – there's so many characters that get your attention. And especially when you got somebody as charming as Luke Evans just like doing such great work in this movie and Dan Stevens and right. Um, right. Ewan McGregor and Ian McKellen. Like, God, there's just so many great people that can, that can be talked about. But I thought she did Emma Thompson. Emma Thompson, yes. Yeah. Like, you know, I thought that she did I thought she did great. And especially considering the mountain she had to climb to play right. that part. Um yeah, I I don't get I don't get any of the hate for it. I mean, it's different and that's good. If we're getting a new version of something, I want it to be new and that's what she delivered. Poor girl just can't get out of castles. <laughs> I did. All right. Speaking uh, of, so speak, speaking of I, that, though, man, the set design of this movie. Right. What I want to do is talk a, a quickly about what what worked for you, and then quickly about what didn't work, and then we're probably going to wrap this up because uh, I know that uh, we we kind of went long on our Disney Dream <laughs> section as well. Uh, but so, Jeremy, go ahead and talk about the set uh, on what worked for you. Uh, just gorgeous. I mean, like they built uh, the entire town. Um, I guess we never find out what the town's called in any iteration. They do say it. Yeah. Um, they they say it at one point, but it French word. Didn't yeah. make sense to me. <laughs> so the the way they built French word was really great, um, and yeah, the castle was just alive and vibrant. Like the thing that I told uh, on the rapid reaction is just like just watching a scene of Lumiere walking around the kitchen is just like breathtaking. Like just the animation mm-hmm. that's happening and all the stuff that's that's occurring and the special effects and how it's all working together. It's just it's absolutely gorgeous. And I like I I think I heard one of you say it. I was kind of worried about how the objects were going to look, you know, because mm-hmm. the pictures didn't yeah. really do it for me. But seeing like the way Lumiere was moving and seeing how Cogsworth was moving in in the midst of it all I liked it. I really liked it. And I think that they did a great job kind of condensing him down. You know, obviously it's different from a cartoon, but uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, honestly, Ewan McGregor, his accent, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. Yeah, in the trailers, I hated it. But yeah, me this, too. It turned out okay. Is that Matthew Crowley? Uh, no, uh, Ewan McGregor was Lumiere. He was Candlestick oh, Man. Candlestick okay. Man. And Ian McKellen was Cogsworth. Which, fun fact. He actually turned down the job of voicing Cogsworth in the original animated film in 91. Nice. It was Law and Order guy. Uh, well, no. he uh, That was uh, Jerry Orbach who did Lumiere, but Ian McKellen turned down oh, Cogsworth. Oh, you're right. Ian McKellen was, turned down who was, Cogsworth. Who was Cogsworth in the uh, David Ogden Stiers. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, big Disney actor. But I just found that so interesting. McKellen turned it down and then 
you know, 20, 25 years later, he plays it again. <laughs> so he gets to that's funny. Crazy. That's funny. Um, yeah, I agree with you. The the sets were gorgeous, and the parts that were CGI were were uh, the the use of CGI. I think was good in this film. Um, be our guest, lot, man. I mean. It, I mean <laughs> Yeah, Be Our Guest was incredible, and it was I liked like uh, uh, when they mentioned Fran- uh, France. It was the guillotine. Uh, yeah, I thought that was a good touch. <laughs> I mean, just so many, so many like funny little touches in this movie, and they did a lot of that with the set, mm-hmm. and um, it, it was just it was just a cool uh, all the way around. The look of it was just it felt like a Disney movie. It felt like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, Anna, a little bit about the the new songs. Like, did any of them stand out to you? Um, I mean, not really. If I'm being honest, like, I couldn't tell you. Like in my head, I couldn't like hum them to you right now. They just don't stick with me. True, I'm the same um, way. I will say, I'm glad that they took out "Human" again, though, because I thought they'd put it in because it didn't make the final <laughs> cut of the movie, but it was technically written and animated for the original cut. So, yeah, I guess right. it, I guess it's just kind of like eh, a little gray area there. But I mean, no, they didn't really stick out. Though, I mean, the one the one that stuck out for me would be Gaston because I loved how much they changed it and they added that dance break and stuff. I thought they did a really really good job. And be our guest, I was really nervous about going into because. I love that animated scene and how they show all the colors and all the things dancing. And I didn't know how they do it, but I was impressed. I thought it was so good. I loved it. I mean, I, I personally really like the, uh, days in the sun song. If I'm going for the old one, but again, like you, I couldn't hum it to you right now if I tried, but I remember, I remember it kind of punched an emotional or packed an emotional punch. Um, with the way it began with the beast as a young boy and his mother dying and everything like, um, yeah, but, uh, Craig, yeah. did, did you like the new songs? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm with Anna on this one. Evermore was good. I, I liked, um, I mean, we talked about that a little bit, um, but I can't, I don't remember it. I can't hum it right now. Um, I would say, uh, one of my favorite songs was Beauty and the Beast and oh, Emma Thompson. Uh, I mean the Emma Thompson and the Audra McDonald version, yeah. I mean, they sang it twice, mm-hmm. but, um, that was a, that was a song that I was worried about because, um, in the, in the lead up to this movie, that, that is, that is this movie. That's the (laughs) iconic scene. And I remember when, uh, the dress came out, uh, Mm -hmm. I was talking to Anna and we were actually going to be at Disney world, uh, for the one day that we were, and we would have maybe had a chance to see the dress. And I said, Anna, are you interested in seeing that? And she was like, no, not really. (laughs) Um, It's like, it's not the dress. Yeah. Yeah. But then a lot of people say that. (laughs) <laughs> when you watch it in the movie, like in that moment, it was perfect for it. I mean, yeah. uh, and the choreography was excellent for that. Um, I really enjoyed that scene. That that scene uh, was I, was very impactful to me. So I would almost say that that was my favorite song in the in the film. Yeah, I I have to go on my one minute tangent on that song because I think it's one of the best songs ever written. I really do. I mean, it might be hyperbolic to say it and everything, but. The simplicity of that song when it was first in the 91 version and what they did with it now, it's it's a two-chord progression for literally about 50% of the song, just switching between two chords. And I know I'm getting music-like here, but like the lyrics that Howard Ashman wrote for that song, I don't know what it is, but it literally, every time I hear that song, it makes me cry. And I, I have no problem saying that with, I don't know, I guess my faux machoism, but like it's it's just... 
the the lyric of you know bittersweet and strange finding you can change learning you were wrong is just like every time i hear it i bawl like a baby mm-hmm. and i just i don't know like it, i i was worried about that scene too because i was like i just remember so many that swooping shot down from the chandelier and how gorgeous angela lansbury was singing it and Emma Thompson didn't disappoint me. And, you know, like, I like that they added the harpsichord tones and, you know, they pumped up the orchestra a bit. That song, that scene had to work for me, and it totally did. Yeah, Yeah, and it's like the little touches that they did, too. They added it, like, around the ceiling. They had the instruments playing. And I thought that was so cute and creative. Like, all those little touches that they added, I really appreciate it. It's like the little tiny Disney touch. Yeah, it's so gorgeous. Ugh. Anything else that uh, you wanted to mention that really worked for you? Yeah, well, I what I most appreciated about this film was that they did they kept in everything that I loved and wanted to see, and then they threw some nuggets that mm-hmm. were just like extra little things that you could catch, like the ceiling or when Gaston goes out of Belle's cottage, how he steps into a puddle, which was supposed to be like the mud puddle yeah. and stuff like that that they throw in that if you're a really big fan, you would get. But then things that I didn't like, they changed for me. Like, I didn't like how all of a sudden the beast was on the horse and Belle was taking him back to the castle. So anything that I had a question about or I didn't really like, they changed. And everything that I loved, they kept. And so it just seemed like a really awesome It's movie. almost like they went to the internet and they were like, uh, <laughs> ding, 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 people. What, what are, are people thinking about yeah. the, the original <laughs> right. movies? And they addressed all of those. And um, for for instance, I really enjoyed the addition. thing that worked for me was the addition of the Enchantress. And yes. I guess you could kind of tell. I mean, looking hindsight's twenty twenty, but um, looking at the beggar woman throughout the 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 whole movie you can i mean especially when she goes to get maurice at that point you kind of know something's up. i mean they definitely Even they haggard her up the at film. the beginning like they haggard her up a lot at the beginning and then obviously right. she's in a blinding light so yeah you kind of one thing that one thing i'll mention this is a minor gripe is that at the end uh during the battle which the battle is excellent by the way how they mm-hmm. use all the characters and and all that but um during the battle, they show her running up the stairs, uh, basically showing that she is the enchantress at that point. And I, I kind of wish that they didn't do that. I kind of wish that after, I think it would have mm-hmm. made added more drama to that pretty dramatic scene of all of the um, objects turning into solid objects. Yeah. Uh, if you didn't know that the enchantress was going to come and save the day right after that. Now, granted, it's Beauty and the Beast. You know that they're going to, at the end, have this beautiful scene where all of them are human again and all that. But um, her kind of running up the steps, I would have cut that. Yeah, um, just have her maybe, show up at the end. Well, maybe just it's for like, the kids so they understand. Yeah, because I mean, that's a pretty dramatic scene when, you know, Cogsworth saying goodbye to Lumiere. When they were, oh my God. You know, like, oh. uh, Oh my God, Chip! Chip is crazy. Like because I thought they were going to kill uh, him, man. Well, no, I, not even that. But like Mrs. Potts, Mrs. Potts had already turned into an object, right? And then she was looking for Chip, just so like frantically looking for him. She's now an object, and then uh, out of nowhere, Chip comes, and like Cogsworth and Lumiere have the mind to go, "Oh God, he can't see his mom like this." Mm-hmm. Like I was like, "Oh my goodness!" Like yeah. that was that was so well done um and so i really appreciated that scene that they added that in um where it kind of showed that the time had run out on all these characters yeah but i do i do wish that the enchantress uh they would have given you know they would have just cut out that scene of her running out the stair up the stairwell and uh, um, yeah, that's a minor credit. The minor quibble i have is 
I don't mind that they brought Mr. Potts back. I really don't. Because, as you said, like, that was one of the loopholes that, like, Sarah and I, every time we watch this movie, when it's opening scene, like, once they get to the castle, we're just like, why is nobody curious about this giant castle in the middle of the woods that that nobody ever knows about? And why is it winter there when it was just spring? And, you know, like, they go out of the way to answer that. But the thing that bugs me with the memory wipe thing is, like, why is Mrs. Potts calling her husband Mr. Potts? Wouldn't she just call him by his first name? Uh, she's, she's I very, mean, I uh, guess it's. I, I mean, guess Mister Downton Abbey. They all call each other. I sure. I guess Mister Potts is more direct than like, oh Jeff, you know, like or something. But <laughs> I, I don't know. That just kind of bugged me in the go moment. Watch Dan Stevens' earlier work um, and Downton Abbey, and then go watch his recent work in Legion. Yeah, uh, he's killing it on guy, Legion, by the way. That guy has the acting chops. Uh, he'll be around for a long time. And check um, out the guest. He was. He's so freaking creepy on that. So, uh, any additional thing? I know we said our minor quibbles, but anything that didn't um, work for you in particular, Anna? The one that comes to mind when we were talking about Agatha is that when we're in the Gaston the theme, Enchantress. Yeah, Agatha. Enchantress Agatha. When she's, when she's being Agatha and she's in the bar scene and, like, the townsfolk are talking down to her, like, oh, Agatha doesn't know. Mm. Why are they punished by her? What, does she do anything to them? Because, like, you're... The, well, I mean, they... Got turned in, she wiped she their memory of the castle and all that. Yeah, maybe also, she's just kind of sticking around. Yeah. There's actually a theory going around online. I want your opinions on this. Um, I read it uh, yesterday. So the the theory is, well, why did like why didn't Mr. Potts why didn't Mr. Potts age? Like Emma Thompson and Mr. Mm-hmm. Potts are the same age. And so the theory going around online is that the enchantress put them into a time loop to where nothing ever changed and nothing, uh, no one aged kind of almost like a groundhog day esque, mm-hmm. not necessarily the same day, but that's why Belle and her father moving into the town after this curse had already been put on them. Cause it doesn't address when they moved into town. That's why Belle is so bored and part of this provincial life that, uh, is just always the same. It's and even in the, you know, Let's make that lyric goes, a little bit more. There goes the baker with yeah. his tray like always. So what do you feel about this uh, new theory that's arrived you know, on it's, the internet? It's interesting you say that because I'm pretty sure Gaston's first conversation with LeFou, he keeps talking about how something's missing and how since the war it's all felt the same and everything. So that's very that's a very interesting theory. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they so are maybe that's what she did with them. She if they are in a time loop. Yeah, if they are in a time loop, then she has to let Belle and Maurice in, so she would know that Belle is the one that can break this spell, I would assume then. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, no, because he moves when they're when they're when she's a baby. Never mind. I just talked myself out of it. Uh, <laughs> No, that's very interesting. That's a very interesting theory. I don't think it's true, but I, I think it's a cool spin. <laughs> I think it's a cool spin. Fair enough. Uh, no, but that's... Jeremy, we did, we did land on the moon. Yeah. I, I'll tell you. Uh, I haven't heard Trump tell me that yet, so I don't know if it's true. But... <laughs> oh, no. Um, um, no, I, I think... Uh, that's cool. That's a cool theory. <laughs> Kudos to whoever made it you up. You got anything else that didn't work for you? Um... No, not really. I just, but I said it earlier. I just wish that they kind of would have used some of the Broadway songs. Um, I think they're fair game, and I think that if I can't love her, would have fit perfectly in what the new songs that Menken wrote for this. So that's really it. 
Okay, well, uh, we're going to go into wrap-ups here, and I just want to, very quickly, um, I want your ranking. And I know that there are different properties, so don't start off by saying that. I understand <laughs> that they're different, but I, I want you to rank this amongst the other two properties. The uh, We've all seen and been in the Broadway show, and we've all seen the 1991 classic. So uh, put those three in a ranked order, for, and, and I will go first, um, since I'm asking you to on the spot. I would put the animated classic above all, because that's what started it. I would then put this movie... Um, because I think it expanded upon and gave us some answers that we needed out of that animated classic. And then I would put the Broadway show because, again, I could do another whole show about how I think that the Broadway show is a little bit too long and uh, <laughs> draws some things out that are unnecessary. But that's my ranking. I put this solidly in the middle of the pack between the three, hmm. uh, amongst the three. So, Anna? Okay, so I go movie, animated movie, or I'm sorry, start over. Uh, action movie, the new movie first. Wow. Mm-hmm. Because I really nice. like how it was done. Hot takes again, yes. Anna, with the hot takes. I know. Get ready for this one. Then I go Broadway show. What? Because <laughs> I, I mean, I loved being in that show. No it was so fun. But I also just really like that story, how it's told, too. And then animated, wow. which is kind of crazy. All right. Well, Jeremy, what's your ranking? Um, it, it's yours. <laughs> it's, <laughs> nice. it's animated live action. But I'll tell you this. Having the intense love that I have for the animated film, like I was set to take that film all the way in our recent '90s bracket. Um, mm-hmm. I was wow. set to take Beauty and the Beast all the way to the championship, but I was thwarted by. I don't remember. Toy Story. Toy Story. Yeah. Oh, come on. <laughs> anyway. The birth of Pixar. Yeah, the birth <clears throat> of Pixar. Um, but I will tell you right now, this movie, I've seen it twice now, and it is a lot closer than I ever would have thought it would be. Um, like, I think it's 1A, 1B for me personally yeah. between mm-hmm. these two movies. And then yeah, the Broadway it's, show, it's you're right. Like, I don't need the Gaston reprise for the 15th time. I don't need, you know. <sighs> It is so funny. I know it was your song, but Human Again is like... Human Again is... It's I Hate It in the Broadway show because, like, you're right. (laughs) Well, I know, but it's just like... Well, I also had to try and dance with, like, those candle hands and I couldn't do it. That that song reminds me of Sondheim. It's like... And I know that this is also your musical, but Into the Woods and Out of the Woods, Into the Woods and Out of the Woods. It's like, just pick pick one, damn it. Just stay in the woods or go out of the woods. Closer and closer and closer and closer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Um, Well, with that, we want to do some quick wrap-ups. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Mouse. Thanks for, uh, first of all, if you have any questions about Disney Cruises, I would totally want to talk to you more (laughs) about it. Uh, Just email us at thefrontroomoviereviews at gmail.com. And... Jeremy and Sarah will, I'm sure, uh, try to escape on one uh, in the not-too-distant oh, future. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, as far as Beyond the Mouse is concerned, uh, I'm not quite sure what we're going to do with our April episode, but I do want to tell you that I just booked our guest for our May episode. Uh, in our May episode, we will be having the Muni's Mary Poppins herself, yeah! Mary Kate Smith, on, um, as, a, as a special guest. So uh, we'll be talking Mary Poppins, and we're going to do it as a classics and Beyond the Mouse 
crossover. Uh, what? So Brandon Davis will also be on that episode. So uh, April, I have no idea what we're doing, uh, but May, I've got on lock. Um, <laughs> so you go, man. Uh, outside of that, uh, just thank you all very much for listening. Uh, continue to like and subscribe to us. Um, please give us a review on iTunes. We haven't mentioned that for a while, but uh, that just helps us be seen by more people uh, on their feeds, and we really do appreciate that. And we're, uh, we're growing, people, because I typed in front row, just front row in iTunes, and we are the fifth entry now. I know, that's crazy. And that's I'm pretty awesome. sure before we were like 2,328,000. So, well, you know, and you we had to are type growing. like front row movie, and then it finally came <laughs> Yeah, then it's, uh, then it's us. Yeah, but now, but, no, uh, we, are, we are growing very well. So, yeah, please do what Kurt just said. Anything else on the wrap up? Now? Yeah, that's about it. She's cute, people. She's cute. <laughs> uh, how about uh, Jeremy? You got anything else? Uh, no, just uh, continue to support us. We got a lot coming out uh, this month, obviously. Next month, as we're doing our scheduling, there's not a lot of new releases that we're going to be doing full disclosures on. Um, unfortunately, May is just kind of taking a hiatus. I imagine somebody will do fa- The Fate of the Furious. Who wants to have that mm-hmm. one? Huh? Anna? You want to do that no, one? I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll, we'll still be bringing you full disclosures, and we're actually going to start some new video work in April. So we're going to use our extra time and uh, slots of releasing to give you some new video templates that you might like to see in the future so stay tuned that's awesome we're uh, we're looking forward to all that and of course you can always find all of our podcasts at www.thefromovereviews.com and with that i am craig mcfarland i'm anna mcfarland and i'm jeremy geckner and we will see you real soon in the front row